everybody, and good morning. I hope everybody's doing all right. I wanna go ahead and let you go ahead and grab your seat and get your cup of coffee if you need to. Pull out your notebook, uh, get your Bible out. We'll be in the, in the scriptures in just a moment. But just like Sherry was saying, tonight we have the opportunity to begin intentionally the You Are Loved campaign. I wanna show you what this campaign is all about because right now what we recognize is that there's an opportunity for the church to run towards the need. Uh, a book that many of our staff have been reading and we've made mention from here before that if you're looking for a summer read is a book called The Rise of Christianity by Rodney Stark. And it's a historical look at the way the church has actually grown and flourished in the face historically of persecution and pandemic specifically. And so we have the opportunity as, as Christians to decide, are we gonna hide and insulate ourselves in these days or... Are we gonna run towards the needs of our world? Well, we wanna encourage you to run towards those needs. I wanna encourage and equip you today by reading real quickly Ephesians chapter four, verses 11 and 12, but just as a reminder, and then I wanna talk to you about those care bags that we're gonna be building as a church. So let's read Ephesians chapter four, verse 11 and following. And he, God, gave the apostles and the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers, look at this, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Leave that scripture there for just a moment. I wanna just point this out. Our job as ministers, your, your, your campus pastor's job, your, your kids spring director's job, our job is as vocational staff members of a church is to equip all of us for this beautiful work of the ministry. And in these days, that's what tonight and the days ahead are all about. We wanna come alongside you and equip you, the saints, for the work of the ministry. So let me just show you a little bit of what these customized personal bags that we're gonna be building are. You're gonna have the opportunity, like Sherry just mentioned, to love on some teachers that are gonna be starting school, faculty, staff, cafeteria workers, bus drivers. We've got things for them that they're gonna need for school supplies, and you're gonna be able to build this tonight for them, okay? We've got things for nurses and doctors. And, I mean, this is super cool, I love this, because like, I don't know if you've been around the hospital, but the nurses, they all have to wear ID badges. But what we wanna tell them as a church is that you are seen, you are valued, and that you're loved. And then we've got a passage of scripture that they can wear right on their badge that in a moment of crisis or in a moment of prayer in a moment where they just need to catch their breath they can look down at this promise Lord help me to be steadfast immovable always abounding in your work knowing that my labor for you is never in vain I hope you know a medical person would be blessed and blown away by that maybe you're a teacher or maybe you're a nurse or maybe you're a doctor or maybe you work in law enforcement and you would, you would be blessed by being equipped with some, some gear that's gonna help you take care of someone if you came into a, a wreck or, or potentially someone who's hurting or bleeding. We've got some stuff for you. We've got something for them to display in their office, a blessing, a prayer. And it's really, again, a way that we're gonna be able to come alongside people in this moment to be missional, to be the church and to run towards the hurting folks in our world instead of to hide and run away. We've got things that are gonna bless folks that are suffering from the coronavirus and their families as well. So I hope you'll come tonight and build a bag. Now, let me give you some homework real quick, okay? So come with me over here. Just three things real quick that I want you to do right now. Maybe you're by yourself or maybe you're with your family or with your, your home group, but in this You Are Love campaign, here's the three things, okay? First thing I wanna invite you to do right now is make a list of names. Who do you know that's a teacher, a principal, a coach, a nurse, a doctor? Who do you know maybe that's in your neighborhood that's struggling with the coronavirus? Who do you know in law enforcement and first response? Who do you know? Make a list of names right now. Go ahead, I wanna invite you to write them down or put them in your notes app on your phone. Make a list of those names and then two, begin praying for them. 
I'm believing right now that as even we begin praying for Sarah and Jake and whoever it is you know, the teachers you know, Jason and the, te- the teachers you know, Mrs. Terry, that's my daughter's kindergarten teacher, okay? We're already praying for our teachers. Okay, we're, we're beginning to lift up prayers for them that God is moving in the unseen and he's doing things in their heart, even preparing them for the school year, for going back into the hospital this week, maybe healing them or their family member who is suffering from the coronavirus, et cetera. Okay, so let's begin praying for them and then come tonight to your campus and build a bag. And we're gonna have opportunities at each campus to come throughout the week to do this, but it's one of the ways that we can be the church because we've said this a lot, you don't go to church, you and I are the church and we have the chance to be the church in these days and run towards the hurting and be missional. And man, what an impact we believe this is gonna make. Now, if you've been around New Spring for any length of time, we talk about this. One of the great charges we have as Christ followers is to love an invisible God. How do you love an invisible God? By loving a visible God neighbor. And so we want to give you an opportunity to show visible love. I hope you'll join us tonight. All of our facilities are going to be open at six. You can come and build a bag and then you can join us for prayer from seven to eight and pray for these folks and pray for our communities as we look for a way to make a difference. Is that pretty cool? I think it's a great idea. Some of our team came up with it and we're going to be able to really lean into this in the You Are Loved campaign. All right, well, if you got your Bible, I wanna go ahead and uh, I'm gonna pray for tonight, this ministry that we're gonna begin, but I'm gonna also pray for our sermon as we jump into Revelation chapter two and the church of Thyatira. Would you join me in praying? Father God, thank you for your church. Thank you that we have a chance to show some visible love. Lord, I thank you for every single name that's being jotted down in notebooks or jotted down on a notes app and phones. I thank you for all of these people that we can run towards in these days and we can be distinct and shine brightly as your people who are here to serve and here to love our communities. And so we pray for all of them and we lift them up to you. We lift up, God, your saints here at New Spring Church that are gonna be stepping out into the mission field intentionally in the days ahead to love on these folks. And that God, as we show visible love to our communities, that as we love a visible neighbor, that it would be a, a direct correlation to our love for an invisible God. And that, Lord, that we would see great fruit from these days as we believe your church was made to thrive and to flourish. We ask all of this in Christ's name and we say together, amen, amen. All right, well, if you've got your Bible and you wanna throw it open, we're gonna be in the book of Revelation chapter two. We're gonna be in verses 18 through 29. I'm gonna read it in just a moment, but I wanna remind us of where we've been. We've got Jesus who has shown up in the book of Revelation to the apostle John and asked John to write these letters. And we're in the fourth city as we've been going through the last several weeks. And we'll read it together in just a moment. And then we'll do a little bit of of preaching on that. So if you got your, your Bible, let's read it together. If not, it'll be on the screen. Revelation chapter two, verses 18 to 29. Here's what Jesus says. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, the words of the son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter work exceeds the first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols." 
I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sick bed and those who commit adultery with her, I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works. And I will strike her children dead and all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart and I will give to each of you according to your works. But to the rest of you in Thyatira who do not hold to this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my father and I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So today, if you're writing a title uh, of this message, I'm going to actually quote uh, the, the new theologian, Kanye West. Uh, and uh, I'm gonna quote specifically his song, Closed on Sunday, and the last line of that song, and it's the quote title of this message. You ready? Jezebel, don't even stand a chance. Amen. Jezebel don't even stand a chance. And so that came out, you know, November 4, 2019. It was tops of the charts. It seems like it was so long ago, but it was just a few short months ago. But this Jezebel spirit is what Jesus is writing to the church of Thyatira. And just a couple of observations, and then we're going to jump into the real meat of the message. The first thing I want to point out, if you've got your text open in front of you, is I want to point out that every single time that Jesus writes to the church, right there in verse 18, you'll see this, he makes reference to a part of his character. And in this moment, in verse 18, he talks about having eyes of fire, eyes of fire. So what we need to take from that is that there is no place and there is no space in our lives or in our world that our good Jesus cannot see. He can see it all. It's all exposed to him. He can, he can see it all. We can't hide behind, you know, pretty clothes or our, our educational degrees or, or anything like that. He can see behind all the spaces and he wanted the church in Thyatira to know, I can see everything. He wants you to know the same. He can see it all. There is nothing hidden from him. It's all laid bare before the eyes of our good King Jesus. The second piece there is he talks about having these feet of burnished bronze. What do you have feet for? You have feet so that you can move, right? And he's got feet to move to it. Not only does he have eyes to see it, but he's got feet that move to it. This is in direct contrast to over and over again in the scriptures, the the idols of the people are brought to, to, to the light. And it talks about they have eyes, but can't see these idols and feet, but they can't move. Not our Jesus. He has eyes to see the issues and he has feet to get to it. And it doesn't matter where it is. He can get all the way to it and put his finger on and say, and that right there, that right there has got to change. I see that right there, that's, that's not my way. I see that right there, that's not gonna be kind. I see that right there, that's not gonna be loving. I see that right there, that's not gonna be fruitful. I see that right there, it's not gonna bring you abundant life and abundant joy. And so what he's saying to the church in Thyatira first is he wants them to know who he is. Again, reminding them of what we saw back in chapter one of Revelation, that he is this beautiful, resurrected, powerful king and he wants them to know who's talking to him. All right, the sec- the, who's talking to them? The second thing I wanna point out here is I wanna just build a little bit of backdrop for Thyatira. 
Now we've been on this journey and uh, Thyatira is the fourth city of this section. So about halfway through this message, we'll be halfway through our series. And uh, we said this in the beginning, but one of the things that could happen, man, is we might be preaching in the book of Revelation and the good Lord come back. We might not even get done with this thing in New Spring Church. I mean, I don't know where you were this morning, but did anybody out there feel the earthquake this morning where they were? All right. I mean, have you ever preached right after an earthquake? Well, I'm getting the chance to right now. Maybe you didn't feel it, but just open up your, your uh, social media feed and you'll see there was an earthquake in South Carolina this morning. And in Thyatira, uh, the fourth city, this probably historically, the backdrop here, was one of the less known cities. It's probably the least significant of the seven cities. And what they were known for was their trade guilds. What they were known for in Thyatira was their manufacturing. We, we get a glimpse of this in Acts chapter 16. The only other major place that you see in the scriptures that Thyatira is mentioned is when Paul shows up to a place to preach and there's a lady there that receives Jesus Christ. Her name is Lydia. And Lydia was in a place called Philippi, and, uh, and, but she was from Thyatira. And so more than likely, Lydia receiving Jesus way back then in Acts is the way that this church in Thyatira began. Now, Thyatira was a trading center. It was a place where there was a lot of manufacturing going on. But one of the things that they had there in Thyatira was they had what I guess would be most a common, uh, commonly known in our world as unions. Okay, so there was, there was working unions there. And so there was maybe the, the steel workers union or the teachers working union. And so they had all of these unions there. And so this is where the church is planted in this city that is known for their unions. But these unions are a little different than perhaps the unions that we have in our world today. These unions also had with them the association of other gods, idols. And so um, what you would do is in these unions, it would, it would direct your social life, it would direct your, your work life, but it would also direct your spiritual life. And so you might be working as a teacher, but you also worship the, the goddess or God of that, that world. Or you might be working as a, as a woodworker, but you also kind of were impacted by the goddess or God of that world. And so the church in Thyatira, to become a Christian there meant that you were gonna have to actually decide if you were gonna follow Jesus even if it impacted your job. You had to actually decide in Thyatira if you were gonna follow Jesus, even if it might impact your income. The church there in Thyatira would have to decide if you were gonna follow Jesus, then you, you were gonna be distinct from the other people in your trade, distinct from the other people in your former network because everything shifted when you started following Jesus. You couldn't also along with Jesus follow X, Y, or Z idols. And so one of the things that I want to point out here that I think is significant is that Jesus celebrates the growth that the church of Thyatira had. Look at verse 19, if you've got your text right there in front of you, it, it speaks about that, that there's, there's these works that they have done that he wants to encourage them with. He, he encourages them there in verse 19 and he, he says this, I know your works, I know your love and your faith and your service and your patient endurance. And watch this, this is such a really cool encouragement and that your latter works exceed your first. So the Christians in Thyatira, they had not only begun with Jesus, they had continued in Jesus and they were growing as they followed him. So much so that the things that they were most recently doing were better than the things they've started doing. Now think about that. What if that was true of you and I as Christ followers? 
Like what if we continued to get better and better and better and better and better and better at following Jesus? That's what's going on in Thyatira. And so what we have here in this word is a word on discipleship. All right. And so what, what Jesus is bringing is he wants to continue to encourage them to continue to change and move and grow to bear the image of Jesus in their world. But in order to do so, he's going to have to address some hard things. All right. So let me just go ahead and put this out there. You looking at me? I am not going to back away from this text. I'm going to preach the text like I believe it should be preached. And I know you're not in the room right now that I'm in to amen me, but I can feel the amens happening, okay? And so Jesus addressed the things that they needed to hear, not the things that they wanted to hear. And so good preaching, good shepherding, many times in our lives, just like the Holy Spirit, with his eyes and his feet, he's not gonna come to us and tell us just the things we wanna hear. He's gonna put his finger on the things we need to hear. And just like a surgeon, he's gonna say, hey, you're doing a lot of things that are awesome. I love how you're growing, but if you're gonna continue in this journey of discipleship, if you're gonna continue in this journey of following me, you're going to have to address that. You can't hide that. You can't write a check over here to the church and ignore this over here. You're not gonna be able to serve over here just so nobody addresses this over here. You're not gonna be able to, you might be able to pull that off at the church where humans can't see everything and you can hide behind something. And this is what we do, is it not? I mean, the only reason I can preach about this is this is what my journey has looked like as a Christ follower. The Lord will put his finger on something in your life that he wants to change and you kind of go, ah, let's not deal with that right now. I'll just serve more. Let's not deal with that right now. I just, I'll give more. Let's, let's not deal with that right now. I'll just tell people, you know, Jesus loves you more. But if you're gonna continue with the Lord, he's gonna lovingly put his finger on some things that need to change. And we have to recognize it is for our good, our happiness, and because he loves us. And it would be unloving, regardless of what the world says, it would be unloving of him to ignore it, all right? So this is specifically seen in verses 20 and 21. So let's look at 20 and 21. Here's what he writes. He says, but I have this against you. Uh Uh-oh, watch out Thyatira, here comes the Lord. That you, and here's the word, that you, oh, I didn't mean to do that. Let me back up. Is that gonna work? Let's see if I can do this. This is live and in person, pen. Let's see if I did it. Let's see if I did it. Yeah, I got it. He says this, I have this against you that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Now, let me leave this up here because this thing is loaded. A lot of things here. So the first thing I wanna point out is that we, we've got this, this name, this formal name, Jezebel. Um, perhaps like Kanye, you know the reference to Jezebel, but you don't know where it comes from. If you wanna know the origin of Jezebel, this reference here in Revelation 2 is a reference to a queen of Israel back in 1 Kings chapter 16. You can go read all about it. But the original Jezebel of the Old Testament, 
was married to a king of Israel. Now stay with me, I'm going here somewhere. I'm going somewhere, I wanna make sure you see this. So you've got the king of Israel, his name is Ahab, who has been mandated by God to lead the people of God, to shepherd the people of God. But Ahab has married a queen who is not a follower of Yahweh. Jezebel was a Phoenician queen who, just like her name says, was a worshiper of Baal, false god. And she had many prophets of Baal and Ashtoreth, and she had all of these false prophets. And so in the Old Testament, there was a man of God, Elijah, who came to King Ahab and Jezebel and basically told them the, the same thing we're getting told here. Hey, repent that God's people deserve to be led by shepherded by someone who is true to the, the standards of God. And so what happened to King Ahab is Ahab, instead of going after the standards of God and going after Yahweh, he ends up being seduced by Jezebel. And so this strong woman's voice in his life causes him to get off of his primary purpose and his primary calling. He puts the things of God behind him and he runs headlong after Jezebel. It does not go well for him or her as you can go and read about all in 1 Kings 16 and following. And so this spirit of Jezebel is the same. The spirit of Jezebel in the earth today is anything, any spirit that would get us to take our eyes off of Yahweh, take our eyes off of Jesus Christ, following him and, and give some level of a spiritual sort of kind of, this is sort of Christianity, sort of following him. And I wanna put some Christianese on it, but I'm really going to ultimately follow my gods. Now, one of the things that I didn't know till about 10 years ago that I wanna make point out here is for all of us to understand. In the Old Testament, I used to think that the, the people of God would follow Yahweh and then a, a, an idol worship would come in and they would say, oh, I'm going to follow this new idol and I'm not going to follow Yahweh anymore. That wasn't actually what was going on. What was going on was you could still follow Yahweh. You just move Yahweh over and bring this other idol in too. And so if on Tuesdays you need to follow Yahweh, then on Wednesdays, you need to follow Baal. Then you do whatever you gotta do. You can worship whoever you need to worship to get done whatever you need to get done. Now, that might not make sense on Tuesdays and Wednesdays, but see if this doesn't make sense. So on Sundays, if you need to follow Jesus, because that's what's normal in church culture in the Southeast, but on Mondays, you need to run after the money bottom line or the success or on Friday night, I need to run after that guy or that girl, but on Sunday, I'm gonna run after Jesus. You see, this is, this is where it's beginning to be applicable. And so what's going on here is, is there is this idea of toleration that we've got to address, okay? And so one of the things that I remember um, playing football growing up is uh, I was a, a, between my sophomore and junior year, uh, we had actually had a change in my high school. Um, my sophomore year, our Rock Hill campus pastor, John Barry, was actually our quarterback. And he graduated, he went on to play football up at App State, and so he left, but we also got a brand new coach. So I'm coming into my junior year, and we get on the practice field with this brand new coach, and he starts to lay out some rules and standards by which that things are gonna change. And I remember one of the major rules and major standards is in this time of year, going into August camp, was when you put your football helmet on and you put your chin strap snapped, you could not walk. That was his rule, that was coach's rule. And so anytime you were on the practice field, you put your helmet on and your chin strap was snapped, you could not walk in Coach Eddie Renault's football helmet, 
All right, that was his standard. That was his rule. His other rule was, it didn't matter if you had a helmet on or not. If you were inside the painted lines of the football practice field, you could not walk. It was not allowed. He wanted to see you moving all the time. It was his standard. And so one of the great leadership principles that I can recall from that season of my sports background in life is that in leadership, you don't get what you want. You get what you tolerate. Mom and dad, you know this. I want my house to be clean. I want the beds to be made. I want the trash to be taken out. I want the dog to be walked. I want the, I want the this, 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 but you don't get what you want. You get what you tolerate. And so the same is true in the Christian faith. There's a standard that's been established by God. And he's, he's saying, I want you to have the abundant life. I want you to come after me. I want you to say no to these idols. But, but he knows that you don't get what you want. You get what you tolerate. And so here in the church in Thyatira, in the middle of these guilds, in the middle of these unions with all of this other idol worship, he wants to come in and bring a strong message that, hey, you started with me. You've been growing. Your, your most recent works are even better than the ones you began in, but you need to recognize you're not going to get what you want. You're going to get what you tolerate. And so this is what you need to see. And because I understand this is not a PC word in our culture and context today, but where there is toleration, there can be no repentance. That's why they're at odds. And if you tolerate, then no longer is sin, sin, and no longer is there a need for repentance. And Satan is smart. He's scheming. And so are all of his minions. And he knows he can't come directly head on against Jesus Christ. That didn't work at the cross. He knows he's defeated. And so he's not gonna try to come head on at Jesus Christ. Instead, he's gonna come after the grounds of the need for Jesus, which is our sin and repentance. And he's gonna say, no, 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 that's not sin. That's not something you need to worry about. Tolerate it, especially in the church, tolerate it. And then therefore, when there is toleration, there can be, by definition, no repentance and therefore nobody will need Jesus. If you're thinking back to week one when I drew the, the big progressive illustration on the screen, um, I'll, I'll draw it right here. If you're thinking back to this right here, week one, and I drew the progressive illustration on the screen and talked about how we've got to see Jesus grow and grow and grow, what toleration does is it removes this whole bottom line right here. There's no sin, no more sin in the earth if you tolerate, and so you never have the cross of Christ being celebrated. You only see the fact that sin is tolerated and the church won't get what it wants. The church that Jesus is building won't be the one he wants. It'll be, again, what they tolerate. So he comes after toleration. So let's ask this question, and I think it's already, I've tried to do my best to answer it. Let's ask this question. Why is Jesus opposed to toleration? Why is Jesus so opposed to toleration? And in short, if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down because toleration removes the power and necessity of the cross of Christ. What toleration does is it says the cross wasn't needed and the sacrifice was ineffective and it was not ultimately the only way. So Satan is trying desperately to get us to tolerate in the earth all the different sins that we can in the church. Now this message is not to the world, it's to the church. And so he's trying, Satan, desperately to get us to tolerate things that the Bible says are standard. And if we'll tolerate them, then there will be no need for the cross. There'll be no celebration of the cross. And ultimately, Jesus would have died for nothing. But that's not true. So I'm gonna kind of turn it on its head for the next few moments. And I wanna show you for the rest of our time, three benefits to calling sin, sin. 
the need for you and I to call sin, sin, okay? So uh, let's, let's begin to go down this hard path. But the three benefits for calling sin, sin, number one, calling sin, sin allows for change to be possible. Where we will not qualify something as sin, what we are actually saying is we don't have a need for change. And I, I think everybody recognizes we need change, right? In our earth, we need change. Turn on CNN, we need change. Turn on Fox News, we need change. Open up the headlines, we need change. Our families need change. Our communities need change. Everybody needs change, but Satan, he's sneaky. He wants us to tolerate sin so that there will be no change. But when we say that's a sin in my life, now all of a sudden we have gained the power in Christ for change to take place. It's so powerful. So everywhere in your life that you identify that there's something in your jealousy, in your greed, in your, in your sexuality, in, your, in, in the way you treat or speak to people, in the way you talk to people that don't look like you, anytime you see something that is sinful in you, what you're actually identifying is a powerful position where change in Christ is possible. And that is the effectiveness of the cross of Christ. He did not just theoretically die there. He died there for real. He resurrected for real to give you and I real power for real change. Now listen, if you're out there and you're not a believer and you're listening this morning, this is one of the reasons that you should accept Jesus because it doesn't matter if you know the rules, you will never be able to change unless Jesus Christ is Lord of your lives. I heard that, amen. You can't change. That's the whole purpose of the Old Testament law. We can know the rules and we're still gonna break them. That's the, the purpose of the 35 mile an hour speed limit is we can know the rules and we're still gonna blow 40 miles an hour, 45, 55. We're gonna break them every single time, but not so for the Christ follower. You and I have effective power in the Holy Spirit to change, change is possible, but only if we call sin, sin. Number two, three benefits of calling sin, sin. Number two is this, powerful testimonies and extravagant worship are only possible to those that call sin, sin. Think about it. Only people that have identified brokenness in their own lives are going to give testimony with their mouths about the powerful change that they've experienced in Jesus. Only people that know how God has forgiven them, how he reached down and scooped them up out of the miry clay and set them on a firm foundation. Only those people are gonna be able to worship. Have you ever wondered why perhaps the church gatherings that you've set in have not felt like there's extravagant worship going on? Many times, perhaps, is that that space or place or the individuals there haven't actually had a revelation of how gross and broken their sin was and how good their God was to reach down and rescue them from it. But if you're ever in a context where there is powerful and extravagant worship and service going on, you can be sure that that group of people, that family, that Christ follower has a deep and a deep rich understanding of their sinfulness and how good God is to rescue them from their sin. If you wanna see powerful testimony and worship at your church, New Spring Church, then we must say that's a sin. We must call sin, sin. Three and final, I want you to see this. Change is possible, powerful testimonies and extravagant worship are possible. And number two, or number three, seeing and experiencing the good news of Jesus as Savior is possible. You see, the good news of Jesus only lands with power and effectiveness in the people that understand the bad news of sin. And the reality is our world today is so full of, not our world, our churches today are so full of the toleration of sin in our own lives that the good news hits us and it doesn't hit deeply. People aren't moved. 
because they have no idea how that that sin, like Psalm 51 tells us, is not against a human being, but our sin was against God himself. Our world talks a lot about justice right now, but we've got to understand the capital J justice of the New Testament scriptures, that Jesus Christ died on the cross to take my place and yours, and that that good news is on offer today for you and I to take a hold of and receive it and therefore walk in the good news, sing songs of good news, serve out of the good news, love our neighbors out of the good news, give passionately out of the good news, and that we would do all of the changing that is necessitated out of the good news. And that's why Jesus came with fire in his eyes and burnished brass feet to say to the church of Thyatira, you've been growing, don't stop now. And continue on your journey of discipleship, but in order to do so, you're gonna have to start calling sin, sin, so that change can happen, so that testimony and worship can happen, and so that the good news would be effectively seen as distinct in your community because how are the workers at the union you work with gonna see it's real if you're not changing? How are the teachers that you're gonna go back to school with gonna see it's real and not just something you do on Sunday mornings if you're not actually worshiping God? How are your coworkers on the job side or your teammates on the ball team gonna know it's real if you don't actually identify sin in your own lives? Now, this is good news. I know it might seem crazy, but this is good news. I wanna show you in the mouth of Jesus why this is good news. Matthew chapter nine, verse 13 says these words, you ready? Jesus is speaking and he says, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but Jesus says, I came to call the sinners. That requires us to identify sin. So if you're a sinner today, good news, Jesus is calling to you. He, he is who he, you are who he came after. He wants you, he came after you. Paul, the apostle wrote very similar words. He said these words in 1 Timothy when he was training up a young leader in the church, he says this, this saying is trustworthy, young Timothy, is deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom Paul wrote, I am the foremost. So good news, Jesus was known, his entire life on earth, he was known as the friend of sinners. He wants to call you today. He wants you to know it'll be effective today. And he wants you to ultimately know he's the friend of sinners today. I wanna close with an illustration of just how this works. I, I've, I've um, had surgery a couple of times in my life. I don't know if you have but I've had three surgeries, two on this knee and one on this knee, old sports stuff. I've been to the ER more times than I care to admit, concussions and you know different random things. But when you go to a hospital, right, what do you want? You go to the hospital because there's something in you that has begun to be intolerable, right? There's a pain level, a pain threshold that you go, man, I can't take it anymore. I remember my last knee injury is almost a year ago. I couldn't, literally, I could not open my knee. And maybe some of y'all remember this. I could, I, I could not open my knee. And it was like, I was no good to my family. I was no good to do anything. My, my, I had cartilage all torn up in my knee. I could, it was intolerable. So I go to the doctor, the doctor does an MRI, the MRI, they set up a, a scheduled surgery day and they go into the, ultimately the doctor's office. And, you know, I don't know if you've been there, but they, they give you an IV and they put some great liquid in your body that kind of sort of burns for just a minute, but you don't know it long enough because next thing you know, right? And when you're there, you have an expectation that that doctor doesn't tolerate germs, 
that that, that, that working environment is sterile and clean, that there's no, there's no germs in that space because they're gonna cut you open and fix your body and you want them to be intolerable to certain things. You want them to not allow certain things in the room. And then they go in and they surgically repair it. And the next thing you know, it feels like it was two minutes, but it might've been like four hours. You wake up, you're kind of groggy. You might feel a little nauseous from the, the stuff they gave you to go to sleep. And they say, all right, we got it. We fixed it. You got a little bit of rehab in front of you, but man, next three weeks, four weeks, you're gonna feel great. You're gonna be able to walk again. You're gonna be able to move again. You're gonna be able to take care of your kids. And hey, here in a couple of months, you're gonna be able to run again. You're gonna be able to, 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 to jump again. You could go play golf again. You could, you could go lift weights again. And, and a year later, you could stand on stage in front of people at church and jump up and down. And you can do all of that. Praise God for the doctor. But there's another kind of thing, it's, it's, it, that's what they do there um, at the doctor's office. There's another kind of thing that maybe some of you have experienced or know someone that has when you come in and you get the report and the doctor calls you into their office and they look at you and they say something along these lines. They look at you and they say, Mr. Cooper, I'm so sorry to be the one to tell you, but there's not much we can do. It's incurable, it cannot be fixed, but here's what I promise we'll try to do. We'll try to make you as comfortable as possible until the end. Palliative care. It's not something you wanna hear about. Also known as comfort care. That's what they do at a place called hospice church. But that's not what they do at another place called a hospital church. And so there's a lot of churches out there that will be hospice and they'll tell you, we can't do a whole lot to take care of you. People are coming in hurting. People are coming in because things are broken. Their marriage is broken. Their, their identity is broken. Their perspective and purpose is broken. And too many churches out there didn't heed the advice of our Lord and they just ultimately give comfort care. And they'll, you can find somebody out there that tells you that that sin is a-okay. You got nothing to worry about. Just keep on keeping on. And they will keep you comfortable until ultimately you die, but that's not the church you're leaning into this morning because we're a hospital and we've got a good physician in Jesus Christ who gave us his good word that is sharper than any two-edged sword and he is surgical with how well he loves us. And he says, hey, listen, we called it in time. I've got eyes on it. I've got feet that can get to it. And oh yeah, my hands, I paid for it. It was effective. I resurrected in power so I could step into your identity. I could step into your shameful past. I could step into your sexuality. I could step into your marriage and I can do effective work. So we've got to recognize this today in closing that hospitals are for healing and hospice is for comfort. And we New Spring Church are a hospital, not hospice, amen? That's who we are. So what's required? Here's your action item, Acts chapter three. Repent, there's that word that the enemy wants to make not famous, but it needs to be one that we embrace. Repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out and that times of, here's the promise, times of refreshing may come from who? From the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. So that's what's on offer today, but only to those who would repent. We say we're a church marked by the presence of God. Right here, it tells us in Acts chapter three, only those who say yes to repentance will be marked by the refreshing presence of God. And that's on offer for you today and every day and every day and every day for a window of time. And that's what he told the, the woman Jezebel. He said, I gave you time to repent. I gave your followers time to repent, but then you didn't. 
And so I just wanna say, there's grace that is available today and he has given you yet again time to repent, time to say yes, time to say, let me do the work of killing that sinful idea, that sinful sin cycle, that mentality, that past, let me do the work. But you're gonna have to say yes to repentance today. And if you want help doing that, I just wanna invite you right where you are, or maybe later on this week, to just simply text the word CARE to 30303. We've got pastors and trained staff members that would love to shepherd and walk with you, whatever the specifics may be, so that you don't have to go it alone. But the bottom line is Jesus has called us to be a hospital church and not hospice. And don't, no need to go get second opinions. If the word of God has said it, then we're gonna believe it because we trust the promises of God. Let me pray for us as the Lord works in each room to magnify and point out and say, here's the things I want you to do. I want you to keep growing. I want you to keep leaning in. I want you to know it's my kindness that leads to repentance. And I love you so much. I've given you this warning this morning so that you would walk into newness and refreshment presence. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you for your church. Thank you for your clean message to Thyatira that you loved and you died for. Help us to recognize today that we as humans have no right to change what you said. And ultimately we as your church have the responsibility of loving people like you did, holding truth and love in both hands and coming to them and saying, hey, Christian brother or sister, God loves you. He died for you. There's a better way to do life than the one you're running after now. And so right now in the name and the power and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, our King, I speak to you, Satan, and all the little minions that you've got running around in the earth. Your, your strongholds are revealed. You're exposed. You've been defeated. Flee from the people of God. And I ask right now, Jesus, that you would fill up with your Holy Spirit power, families, men, women, children, the next generation, to stand up when everybody else might be sitting down in our world and to not tolerate in the church the things that you said are intolerable so that we might see your beauty glowing forth out of New Spring Church. We love you, Jesus, and we are very grateful for this clean gospel invitation. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen, amen. Church, we love you. Hope to see you tonight at six o'clock. Come and build a bag so we can love our communities well. We'll pray again at seven and let's go out and be the church this week. Next week, we'll continue with city number five in seven letters to the churches. God bless.